But uh, so today we are starting a brand new series, and uh, it's something that I'm excited about, something that that God's excited about because it's part of his character, it's part of his nature, it's something that he's been passionate about for a long time, and it's not always by this name, but it's, it's something that he's, he's always been doing. And I want to start by, by taking a look at a passage that Jesus said referred to himself. And this is in Isaiah 61, and Jesus actually read this aloud in the temple very early on in his ministry. And this is what he said. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up or heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So, so this is what Jesus came for. This is what the Spirit of God anointed him to do on this earth. And notice this is what God still does today, right? He brought good news to the poor, news of, of salvation, that forgiveness was available. He came to heal the brokenhearted. And even today, he is interested in healing us of our hurts and the things that have held us back, the things in our past that have, have wounded us. He's interested in healing those things. The Bible says that he is near to the brokenhearted, right? So God is, is passionate about bringing healing in our lives. And Jesus, when he walked on this earth, he was moved with compassion for the people that he saw hurting for whatever cause might have caused that pain. He also proclaims liberty to the captives and opens the prison doors to those who are bound. So those of us who might have addictions or struggles or secret sins, he is interested in setting us completely free from those things, right? He's not just interested in forgiving us of our sins. He doesn't want those things to to have hold of us. He doesn't want us to have to be a slave to those things anymore, right? So this is what Jesus came to do. He was on mission to do this. He was interested in, in healing and comforting and freeing people. And that's something that he continues to do today. And that's actually what this series is about, because this year we're going to be launching this new group, a new program that'll be on a weekly basis called Celebrate Recovery. All right, this is a program that's had success for over 20 years. It's in over 20,000 churches worldwide, and, and it's doing, it, it's not the program itself that's special, all right, because this, this program, it's, it's based on the Bible. It's doing the same thing that Jesus has been doing for 2,000 years through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and helping us overcome these hurts, these habits, and these hang-ups in our lives, all right? So it's, it's not anything special about the program. It's just a framework that God uses and works through to set people free. All right, so that's something that we're going to be starting, and I want in this sermon series to kind of walk through some of these concepts, these biblical principles, so that we can be free, right? Because God is interested in, in us being free. So these are, these are based on the Bible. This is, this is a, a program. It goes through a series of steps, but the higher power is, is explicitly defined as Jesus in this program, right? So it's not kind of beating around the bush. It's not shy to say that Jesus is, is God and the one that we need to be set free, right? And, and, and I want to point out that this program, when we launch this, it isn't just a service that we will offer to the community, all right, this is, a, it, this is something that we need as well. People within the church will have need of this program, all right, because it's not just about helping people who have chemical addiction or alcoholism or, or drug addiction. It's about helping people who have all sorts of issues, all sorts of hurts, all right? This, this is going to help us grow as Christians, all right? This is something that will allow us to accomplish two of the tasks on our mission, which is to make disciples as well as mature them. 
All right? So even if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, it doesn't mean that your life is, is all put together, that your life is everything that you know God wants it to be. Right? So this is, isn't something to kind of shun or assume that it's for, for the people with serious problems. All right? This is for people like, like you and me, right? because we all have, have these issues. All right? and, and the great news is that this program doesn't specifically focus, like I said, on drugs and alcohol, but it, it, it uses the same process to overcome all sorts of different sorts of, of habits and, and wrong thinking and, and just things that have been routine in our lives that have, have been holding us back from growing closer to God. So, so this isn't just for, for new Christians or non-Christians, it's for, for all of them, the full gamut, you and me included. All right, so, so what am I talking about? What do we actually need recovery from? This is the sort of thing that this, this deals with. It's, it first of all focuses on hurts. All right, so hurts are things that aren't necessarily our fault. All right, things that have been done to us, wounds that we carry where someone else has caused suffering in our lives. All right, someone else has, has done something to us and we had no control over what happened. Right, so hurts uh, are an emotional reaction to another person's behavior or to a disturbing situation such as abuse, abandonment, codependency, divorce, or a relationship struggle. And it also deals with habits. These are the ones that we're probably more aware of, the things we typically think of when someone goes to get help like this in a group uh, for support. Habits are when we just happen to be stuck in a rut. When we have some sort of addiction or a secret sin, and when we've, we've trained ourselves to do something over and over as a means of, of coping with our lives, that is actually causing either us hurt or, or those around us, right? And, and a habit is an addiction to someone or something. Examples would include alcohol or drugs, but it could also be food, gambling, sex, shopping, smoking, or pornography, right? Just to, to name a few. And it's important that we as believers don't just think like, well, I've been forgiven of my sin, right? I get to go to heaven with Jesus. He's, he's made this available for me. That's good enough. We don't want to just stop there, right? We want to actually overcome the sin in our lives because our sins continue to hurt us and the people around us, right? The people that we love. So I don't want to just be like, well, psh, that's too bad. You guys have to forgive my anger problem or my pride issue or my lust issue, no, like I want to overcome that. I want to become more and more like Jesus so that I'm not hurting the people that he loves, right? That I'm not hurting myself. And the last thing that this, this focuses on is hang-ups, right? Hang-ups are anything that hold us back from growing. It could be wrong thinking or an un- unhealthy attitude. So hang-ups are negative mental attitudes that we, we use to cope with people of adversity. Sometimes this could be right, anger or depression, unforgiveness, anxiety, worry, arrogance. Right? It could be bigotry. It could be being a control freak. Right? You could have greed issues or impatience, lack of self-control or lack of, of trust in God. Right? Perfectionism, racism, self-righteousness, all sorts of different things that just maybe the way we grew up or the things that we've experienced in life, it it results in us having this wrong thinking where we just get kind of caught thinking the wrong way and reacting the wrong way to the world around us. But I want to talk for a minute, why why is it that we all have these problems, right? Why is this a, a, a global crisis that we have? Why is it that we have these issues because it, it's, it's not that the world was made this way, right? God didn't make things this way 
on purpose. This isn't how he designed it because back in Genesis, right, when God made something, he said that it was good, right? He, he made things good. But the, the reason that we all have the same types of hangups, all right, they might be different between you and me, but we all still have these issues is that, that Adam and Eve, they made a decision to rebel against God, right? That he had this ultimate plan for them. He, he put them in paradise and they wanted to be God. They wanted to be the ones to, to say what was right or wrong, right? They wanted to be the ones that were in charge of, of their lives. And since that decision, they've, they've passed on what the Bible refers to as sin nature to all of us, right? It's something that is, is inside all of us. It's not the only thing about us, right? Sometimes the Bible refers to it as our flesh, right? Just our, you know, th- these bodies that we live in, our tendencies, but this is our problem. It's our sin nature. And the Apostle Paul, he, he talked about this, and I think you guys will relate to this. Try to follow the, the wording here as best you can. But in Romans chapter 7, he's talking about this struggle between what he knows is right and what he ends up doing. He says, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Right? I, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway, right? So Paul himself, right? Paul, this apostle, this believer in Jesus, someone who's seen him in his planting churches, he's talking about this very genuine struggle that he has, right? This is completely authentic, and this is something that you and I have experienced. In verse 21, he says, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong, And this is crazy. He says, I love God's law with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. So this is the idea that we want to do good, but we fail. Right? And this is something that we all struggle with. Whether it's like, I know that I should be kind, but I'm not. Right? I know that I should be generous, but I, I tend to lean towards selfishness. Right? Or, I know that I should be you know, working hard for my family, but maybe I you know, just fall back into to laziness or procrastination. Right? And, and then he says, it's not just that. It's not just not doing the good thing. It's that when we don't want to do the, the wrong thing, we continue to do it anyway. Right? We know that we shouldn't lash out in anger, but we do anyway. All right? Or we, we know that we shouldn't hold a grudge, but we just, there's something sweet about holding that unforgiveness and holding that over a person right? And, and we know we shouldn't say something cruel, but we do in the midst of an argument. And we know we're not supposed to lie, but sometimes it's convenient and it's just easier to just let someone else believe something else about us or about a situation and we lie. And this is what Paul said. He said, he said that we can even love God's law and still have these, these, these problems, right? We can have a sense of justice. We can have a sense of right and wrong, we can, we can admire the idea of the law of love, loving God and loving our neighbor, but yet still we struggle with doing the right thing, right? I mean, sometimes maybe it's, we like the idea of justice, maybe we just like it for ourselves, right? We don't care about justice for other people as much, but, but this is the idea, is that we, even though we might love God's law, we still realize that there's this discrepancy, 
right? And, and even though that points out the fact that we need a Savior, and that's a good thing, and, and that Savior is available, that forgiveness is available, there, it still leaves us with this struggle because we know we're not doing all that God would have us do. And this is what he said. He says, yet there is a power that makes us a slave. And I don't think Paul is, is overusing that word. He's not exaggerating the problem because we are actually slaves to what we obey. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus said in John chapter 8 that those who practice sin are slaves to it. Right? So we become slaves to these things that we can't stop doing. All right? And slavery is when, when someone else tells you you have to do something and you don't have a choice in the matter. Right? Slavery is when you don't have this freedom. You don't have the liberty to do something other than what you're being told to do. And that's how it is oftentimes with, with what, whatever habits we have where we, right, we might be able to be good for a little while. We might be able to avoid some of these habits or routines for a little while, but then we end up kind of falling back into them. Right? So we're, we are, in a sense, slaves to the things that we obey. So how have, have humans dealt with this problem? Right? How, what, what has our solution been for generations upon generations? What, what are our typical strategies for dealing with our own failures and our own struggles and the hurts that we, we have? Well, there's a couple ways that this happens. I'm only going to look at, at a couple today. But in James chapter 3, he says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. So bitter envy and selfish ambition, those are maybe more specific types, but let's talk about sin in general, right? That, that these issues that we have in our hearts, we have the tendency to, to boast about them or to deny them. But first I'd like to point out that we harbor them in our hearts, right? To harbor something is to, to keep it safe, to protect it. And that's often the way we deal with these sins, right? Often we like to to protect it in our lives. We don't, want, we don't want to lose the ability to do the, these things. We like holding on to our anger or lust, right? We like holding on to these things because sin, the Bible teaches, is pleasurable, all right? Maybe you don't hear a preacher say that very often, but sin is pleasurable. But the thing is that the Bible teaches that sin's pleasure is, is, is passing, it's fleeting, it's momentary, and later on, it ends up being bitter to us, right? It takes us further than we planned, right? It costs us more than we thought that it would, right? So, so that's what we have to be careful is, is that our heart's tendency is, is to, to harbor sin in our hearts, right? We want to keep it safe. We want to we protect it because deep down in some ways, we, we enjoy it. And he says that there's a couple ways that he, he says not to respond, but He's telling us not to because this is our natural tendency. The first one was to brag on it, right? To boast in our sin. I was at a, a party a few years ago and there was these guys kind of drinking and getting drunk. And as they're drinking and getting drunk, they're just talking for like half an hour about all these other times they've drank and got drunk. Like, and it was just like, I don't understand. Like, this isn't the most boring conversation I've ever been in. Like, please, Right? You're just bragging about how much you used to be able to drink and you're drinking, uh, I don't know. Right? But, but that's what we tend to do. 
right? If, if, if we have an issue in our lives, we pretend it's not a problem and instead boast about it as, as some great ability that we have, right? Sometimes you might, you might think like, oh no, this is just my Irish anger in me. That's all. Like, like and we, we just kind of, we brag about it. All right? or, or sometimes guys can boast about their sexual sins, right? That they, they view this as something to brag about to other people. But that's not how we should respond to sin. We should not be proud about the sin that's in our hearts. And the other issue is the thing that I'm going to focus most of my time on today is that we deny that it is a problem. Right? I, I don't know if you guys have ever seen someone who's angry and maybe in the midst of a fight saying, I'm not angry, right? And I always find that really amusing, but I kind of find angry people funny anyway. It's, I don't know, it's a defense mechanism I have. But, but yet, it's not just anger that we deny, right? We, we also deny when we're afraid or when we're hurt because we don't want people to know our weaknesses, right? We put up a false front, Right, our Facebook page, page is just full of us kind of smiling and have a good, having a good time. Right, we put out this image for everyone to see, but yet we're hiding these hurts in our lives. And, and the danger of denial is that ignoring the problem doesn't protect you from it. Right, denying that it's there doesn't stop it from hurting you. And you can hide it for your whole life, and it will still hurt you your whole life. There's a proverb in Proverbs 27. It says, a prudent or wise person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So notice it says that the prudent person, they are aware of the danger. They are aware of the risk. They consider the cost and they think about it. And that they end up doing something about it. They evaluate the situation and they avoid the danger. All right, they take precautions. But it says that the simple, they are unaware of the danger altogether. They don't realize that something is going to harm them or, or cause their lives to, to just be blown apart, right? They don't realize they need to be cautious. They're, they're ignorant, but that ignorance doesn't avoid their suffering, they, they go on blindly and still experiences the, the, the full consequences of what they walk themselves into. And I said I was going to talk about denial here, and notice that neither of those people are in denial. Right? There's, there's the prudent person who sees the problem and avoids it, and there's the person who didn't even realize there was a problem. They weren't denying it. They were just unaware. So what's crazy is that people who are in denial, they... They have the perception of the wise person here. They realize there's a problem, right? They realize that there's this in, up, up, up and coming danger. And even though they have the perception of the wise, they take the, the path. They, they have the action of the simple. They're aware of this danger and they're not blind about it, but they walk into it anyway. And they experience the consequences, right? So that's the danger of denial is that we cause suffering for ourselves. So why, why do we do this to ourselves? I, I mean, you probably know the answers to that question, but, but I think in some ways we don't want to acknowledge the truth, right? We want to maintain a life of distraction from our failures, right? If we can either just keep our minds busy enough that we're not thinking about these issues, right? We just try to make our lives simpler, 
right? We want people to see us a certain way. We don't, we don't think about our life's path, right? We don't think about or reflect upon the choices that we've made and the consequences that those have led us to. So that's, that's one of the things that we just tend to do. And we're afraid that if we, even if we did admit that we have a problem or that we have these failures or hurts, we're afraid that what if there's nothing we can do about it? Right? What if, what if I can't solve this problem and now everyone just knows about it? And we hide our problems because we're afraid. And that's the same thing that Adam and Eve did. They sinned, they messed up, and they, they go running away when they hear God walking in the garden who's coming to hang out with them like he does every day, and they go hide. Right? And he's, where are you, Adam? Right? And, oh, we, we hid, right? Because we were, we're, we're afraid. And, and the idea of hiding from God is completely absurd. But, <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. But that's what we do. We don't, we don't want people to know, so we hide. And sometimes our denial, it's not good enough for us to believe it's not a problem. We want, we want everyone to believe it's not a problem. Right? We want the global standard, the metric to suddenly change as to what problem is. And not, No, 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 let's just call this back down here. It's not a problem anymore. Like, let's all agree, let's vote, and it's going to be good. Right? We don't want society just to accept us for who we are, but we want them to now celebrate the problems that we have. And Jesus in his day, he, he criticized the religious leaders of his day because they tried to keep this, this righteous appearance before people. This is what he said in Luke chapter 16. He said, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The NIV translation says that last line, What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So no matter how many people we might get to agree with us, Right? Like, I mean, I could go to the bar and be like, I'm not a drunk, right? I don't have a problem, right? Like, I don't need to take a poll to figure out if I have a problem. And it doesn't matter how many people agree because morality is not a democracy, right? No matter how many of us might band together and agree on something, it's not going to change what the actual standard is. And this is what a lot of times people don't like to hear, but we are still accountable to a holy God. And what's crazy is it's not new that our society is this way. This is how people have been for generations past. And the Bible actually even documents it. This is kind of a, an interesting situation. But people find it annoying that they're accountable to this holy God. And this is in Isaiah 30. This is what the people yell at the, the prophets and the seers, the people who spoke for God at their time. They tell the seers, stop seeing visions. They tell the prophets, don't tell us what is right. Tell us nice things, right? Tell us lies, right? Forget all this gloom. Get off your narrow path. Stop telling us about the Holy One of Israel. And that's what's crazy is is that's what sometimes we prefer, right? In exchange for what's right, I'd rather just hear something nice, right? Just tell me I'm doing a good job, right? Just... Just tell me something nice. Or at, at the expense of, of something being true, I'd rather hear what is simply convenient. 
or easy for me to do. And then this is their tactic. They accuse the people who'd point out the truth as being self-righteous and narrow-minded, right? They say, just get off your narrow path, right? No one else thinks like you do, right? This isn't how the world is. Stop telling us these things. And the craziest part is that they, they would rather ignore God than hear the truth, right? They would rather ignore God, and, and some would prefer not knowing God. And what's sad is that they would trade an eternity with a loving Father who withholds no good thing from us, right? He, he gives us all things to enjoy, and they would trade that for a momentary life of, of ignorance so that they could have a perceived pleasure, that's crazy that they would trade out God for this. And it is possible to live your life ignoring him. All right? He will let you ignore him. I mean, he'll kind of blip up on your radar once in a while, but you can plug your ears and you can live your whole life doing that. All right? And I sincerely hope that you would listen to him, that you would seek him out. And don't just evaluate him by my words today. All right? Don't just, you know, walk away and be like, well, I not interested in that anymore. Don't reject him based off of how other people represent him, but seek him out for yourself, right? Read the Bible yourself. Seek him, pray to him yourself and evaluate him for who, who he really is, right? So I I sincerely hope that you don't, don't just reject him based on how I represent him today. Another challenge is that in terms of denial, Maybe if we go as far to admit we have a problem, we minimize the seriousness of the problem, right? We'll only kind of half admit, you know, we'll only kind of half confess the issue. We'll half tell the truth and just like to make it seem like we're sorry enough that then people are like, oh, wow, okay. And then we move on with our lives. But really, I'm now once again harboring that sin in my heart. And I think about, I was considering playing a video clip of this, but it gets a little gory. But uh, think about the Black Knight from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, right? I was, consi- I know, but it's kind of got like blood spurting out and I was like, Arr. so, but right, but what does he say, right? The Black Knight, he, he's, you know, he confronts Sir Arthur or King, I don't remember his name, but right, he doesn't let him pass and he gets in a fight with a guy and he loses his arm. He's like, ah, tis but a scratch, right? And, and then like, and it loses another arm. Ah, it's just a flesh wound, right? And, and like he, he, he doesn't evaluate the seriousness of his wound. He doesn't acknowledge that he's got a real problem, right? He's like, no, 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 I've had worse, right? <laughs> like, and, that's, and that's how we are oftentimes with, with our, our issues, with our hurts. And, it, and it's interesting. I'm going to look at another passage from Jeremiah now. And instead of the people yelling at the prophets, this time it's God correcting the prophets because they ended up going along with the people. This is what God said to them in Jeremiah 6. He says, they offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. So guys, some of our, our suffering are from wounds that we bear. And like I said, it wasn't necessarily our fault. Because not only am I a sinner that hurt myself and other people, but other people are sinners as well, and they will hurt me, right? So sometimes it wasn't my fault, 
but I still need to acknowledge that this pain that was caused by others, I might need to be active and involved in healing that pain. Right? My friend who's a preacher, he says that someone might have put a bullet in you, but it's not their responsibility to get it out. And chances are they're not interested in getting that bullet out. Right? We, we need to go to the hospital to get it fixed. We need to do something about it. Even though they are, right, it was their fault. And sometimes we, we diminish the seriousness of our problem, and, and as a result, we mistreat it, and those around us mistreat it, right? Because we're, we're just saying, no, nah, no, nah, it's not that bad. I've had worse, or I've got my life. I, I can solve it. Don't worry. I've got my life together. But sadly, when we're alone or at the end of our lives, we'll still be carrying that hurt. We'll still have that pain. So we need to admit the entire problem, not just part of it. Right? We need to acknowledge the full, the full issue and the full pain and the wound that we have, which here the passage described was as a mortal wound, and you're just kind of slapping a Band-Aid on it, right? It's not going to solve the problem. And in the case of sin, when it is our fault, when we do have a secret sin in our lives, something that we repeatedly do, we shouldn't just proclaim our innocence, all right? Because that's not how things work before God, right? You don't suddenly get off because maybe you're going to get a really good lawyer and like persuade him that you actually were innocent because he knows our hearts. Instead, we need to admit our guilt and repent. And he's a forgiving, yet still just and holy judge. Check out this passage in 1 John 8, uh, 1, verses 8 and 10. I'll read verse 9 in a minute. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So denial doesn't just attempt to fool the people around you, which chances are you're not actually fooling anyone. Denial ends up deceiving us. It deceives our hearts. And, and what's crazy is, instead of us being the liar here, we end up accusing God of being the liar. No, 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 he's got it wrong. No, no, I, I, I don't have a problem. I don't have sin. I do live a pure life. Right? And it accuses him of being a liar. And it goes as far as saying that the truth is not in us, or his word is not in us when we deny. But check out verse 9. This is awesome. It says, If we confess our sins, not to a priest, but to God, right? Not, you don't have to talk to me about it. But right, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Amen. Yeah, absolutely, right? So, so he will forgive you. You can live a life that is then guilt-free. There, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? That you can, you can have a, a holy life before God, right? Where he exchanges the righteousness of God to you because Christ took our sin upon himself, yeah, we are a completely new creation. And what's, what's better than just that, it's not just about being forgiven, is that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
right? So you're forgiven the moment you confess it, but then he starts a work in our hearts. That's usually a lifelong work, but he, he begins to, to root out the things that are sinful. He begins to make us more and more like him. And, and we don't have to do it on our own. It's not in our own strength, right? He makes us more like him through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit in our lives, right? The Bible refers to this as sanctification, the process of God making us holy. So not only are we holy before God in terms of forgiveness, but then we start to become more and more like Jesus who we follow. And, and I want to just emphasize that don't just settle for experiencing God's forgiveness. Don't just settle for like, yeah, I get this eternity with, with Jesus and that's good enough for me. Let him do the work in your heart. Let him cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because even though we can be fully forgiven, our sins can still have a lasting effect on this earth. Right? You can be fully forgiven and still lose your wife and kids because of your sin issues. Right? You can still be fully forgiven and then still die driving drunk. All right? You can still get an STD. And even though you're fully forgiven before God, there's, there's still consequences to our actions And that's why it's important that we allow God to do the work of pruning these sins out of our hearts because it's hurting us and it's, it's hurting other people. And that's why, that's why God hates sin. All right. Oftentimes people hear that and they're like, oh man, God's such a jerk. Like, why does he hate sin? Like, what's wrong with this? Like, I like this, right? But he hates it because it hurts us. He hates it because it hurts other people. And this gets us to The first principle from Celebrate Recovery, which is, realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that my life is unmanageable. Let's have the worship team come up. And like I said, you don't don't have to tell me about your sins. Alright, you can just confess them to Jesus. And this forgiveness that I'm talking about is genuine, it's real. And it's God's only solution for our sin problem. All right, this was a big enough problem that he knew that our denying it or our boasting about it weren't going to solve it. That's why he came down to die for us, to solve the problem once and for all and to make us the new creation that we need to be. All right, and, and what's cool is you can experience this today. If you've not yet been a follower of Jesus, it's as simple as just admitting to him, Like, God, I mess up. Like, I'm wrong. I lead my life down some really foolish paths. And I need you. Right? Repent just means to change your mind. Just be like, all right, God, I like this thing, but you call it wrong. And I'm going to just change my mind about that. Right? And even though you'll still likely have a struggle, it'll take time, you can still be forgiven of that. And, you, and he will offer that forgiveness for free. It's not based on how hard we work. Right? We can't earn it through like trying to outweigh our bad deeds with our good deeds. It's not, it's not done that way. So you can experience that new life that he offers today. Jesus came to offer life abundantly. And he died so that we could have it. Right? And it's as simple as just following him. Receiving him as as the Savior that he is and believing. Believing him, right? That's all that faith means. It's just believing God. 
We've got communion today in the back. So during these last two songs, if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, you can partake. And it's just something we do in memory of what Jesus did. All right, the bread represents his body that was broken, that we could be healed. The, the grape juice represents his blood that was shed, that we could be forgiven. All right, so it's not turning into anything over there. It's just still grape juice and bread. But, but it, it's something we do in memory of what he did for us. And we don't have to be sad when we think about what he did for us. All right, because the Bible says that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. Right, So it was joy to him to go and die and suffer because he knew on the other side of it was, was me and you. And that was worth it to him. All right, so, so during these last two songs, just get your heart right before God. Right, Even if you are a follower of Jesus, like just because you've been forgiven before doesn't mean you don't have new things you need to, to tell him about and <laughs> repent for. So get your heart right before God, and then you can, during these two songs, just go up and grab some bread and, and the grape juice and have it wherever you'd like. All right, let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that you are bold. Lord, you tell us the truth, even when it it doesn't sound like something nice for us to hear. Lord God, you acknowledge the full breadth of the wound that we've experienced, that you know the hurts and the suffering that we've gone through. Lord, you know the times in our lives that we've we've been abused by others. And God, you're compassionate towards all of us. I ask that, Lord, you would bring healing to the brokenhearted. And that, God, you would loose those who are captive, those who are slaves and, and bound in sin, as only you can. God, I ask that you would just work in our hearts, that you would stir up the things that... Maybe we need to repent about things that we didn't even know we did wrong this week. And just bring them to our attention that we could, we could make, make it right before you and, and the people that we've sinned against. I thank you so much for your mercy and your grace that you bestow all of this goodness on us even though we didn't deserve it. And Lord, we praise you with all that we are, with all of our lives, and we ask that you would just be a light to this world through us We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.